0: Welcome, everyone, to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley, a national news and talk program dedicated to military veterans issues. And now,
1: your hosts, David Corey and Richard Hurley. Good evening. Welcome to the Veterans News Hour for Monday, December the 6th, 2021. This is Air Force veteran David Corey. My usual co-host Richard Hurley can't be with us tonight. He's up in uh, New York. Uh, he spent part of the day at uh, Seton Hall Law School talking to them about a veterans law clinic. So when he's back next week, I look forward to getting an after-action report from him on how that went. We have a very special guest with us today, retired Army Colonel Mike Borders who is now president of the Florida Council of Chapters of the Military Officers Association of America. Before I formally introduce him, let me first remind everyone that this, of course, is a call-in show that welcomes your comments and your questions. So if you have any questions for our guest, please call in uh, during the next uh, 45 minutes or so. Our call-in number, Nationwide Toll Free, if you want to grab a pen and paper, is one 888 627-6008. Again, the toll-free call-in number for the show is one 627 6008 One more time, one 627 6008 Let me introduce our guest, uh, Colonel Mike Borders, U.S. Army retired, is currently the president of the Florida Council of Chapters of the Military Officers Association of America. The military has been a tremendous part of Mike's entire life. He was born in the Army Hospital at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, the son of a career infantry officer. Mike received his commission as an Army officer through the ROTC program at St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas. He went on to serve in the Army for 30 years as a signal officer and as a Latin America foreign area officer. After his military career, Mike worked for more than six years at the National Defense University at Fort McDare in Washington, D.C. Mike and his wife, Diana, moved to Sebring, Florida in mid-2014. Mike agreed to stand up a Military Officers Association of America chapter in the Sebring area upon arrival. He's still the president of that chapter, and he has also been the membership chair for the southern half of the state, uh, he was the area vice president for the southwestern area the vice president and now the president of the Florida Council of Chapters he also serves on several other boards committees and councils all veteran or military related so let's welcome mike borders to the veterans news hour welcome mike and thank you for being on our show
0: well uh I appreciate it, Dave. It's an honor for me to be here this evening and have the opportunity to speak with you uh, about the Military Officers Association of America and what we're doing at the uh, national, state, and local level. Thank you very much for taking the time with me.
1: Well, well, thanks for being with us. Now, there's a lot we can discuss this evening. So let me begin by asking you to tell us about uh, MOA as a national organization. What is it? How is it organized? What does it do? What does it serve and represent?
0: Sure. Yeah, certainly. Well, once upon a time, MOA was called the Retired Officers Association, TROA. I recall seeing the magazine in my house growing up. My father was a member. Uh, when I was a battalion executive officer, I walked into my battalion commander's office uh, one day when I had not enough to do, apparently. And I noticed he had the Troa magazine in his office and i said sir why do you have that that's for the old retired guys like my dad he says well actually you can join on active duty and in fact you're going to do it right now so sit down there and fill out the card and he says while you're at it just go ahead and become a life member so my exposure that was 1993 uh to clola as a as a life member began at that point uh some years ago, TROA decided to change its name to MOA, the Military Officers Association of America, because it wanted to reflect the fact that so many active duty officers uh, were members of the organization. And I'll talk about some of those, those numbers a little bit later. But uh, it is a national, state, and local organization. If you want to kind of think about that in military terms, it's almost along the strategic, operational and, and tactical levels. Uh, it uh, recognizes, uh, that we have a lot of surviving spouses that, uh, you know, primarily widows of, you know, former officers, retired officers, but MOA uh, represents the eight uniformed services. Now, most of us military guys think about uh, the five military services, well, well, recently we got the sixth with the Space Force, but when you take the Army, the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force, the Space Force, the Coast Guard, oftentimes we forget about the Public Health Service. Uh, and if you think about the Surgeon General of the, the United States is an admiral in the Public Health Service. And then you have NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, uh, you know, the hurricane hunters and people, and they're involved in environmental and oceanographic work. Uh, in fact, here we are in Florida. They have major operations right in Lakeland, right there at the airport. Uh, the NOAA and the Public Health Service are supposed to use the Naval Rank System. So all eight of those services, uh, also the Reserve component, both the National Guard and the, the Reserve, uh, as I mentioned, surviving spouses, so primarily widows, but there are some widowers there. And uh, then any former military officer. You do not have to be a retiree. Uh, you can be a former military officer and be a member of MOA. So you have some folks out there. It's a small percentage. but You do have some folks out there who maybe served one hitch as an Air Force officer, did four years, got out, is a member of MoA. So that's who it represents uh, nationally. Um, the the organization of MoA might be your next question, unless yes, you have any uh-huh. questions about uh, the first part. There, do you have any questions about no, what no. I just went no, over? Oh no,
1: that's that's good.
0: Okay, so the the organization, it's uh, the MoA National Headquarters. Is in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, right on Washington street. So if you've ever been to Old Town Alexandria and walked up and down Washington street, uh, when you were assigned to DC, you would have walked right by the MOA headquarters, uh, beautiful building. Uh, it has a classic business, uh, organization with a full-time staff. The president and CEO is a retired three-star general. It's currently Dana Atkins. He's been the president and CEO for six or seven years. Uh, it's routinely a three-star retiree as president and CEO. Uh, and then there's a staff there that has your CFO and your COO and kind of a standard staff, uh, although it's structured to support uh, MOA operations around the country. Uh, and then there is also a chairman of the board with a board of directors. The chairman of the board is routinely a four-star general that uh retired four star general uh serves a two year term as the chairman and that has traditionally rotated by service uh so right now we have an army guy uh last guy was a, a navy guy the next guy will be an air force guy and it, it rotates through the uh through the services um the state level, probably about 35 of the states around the country have a state council. And so I am the president of the state council here in Florida. The state council, I'm kind of at that middle operational level. Uh, and it's my task to, with my board of directors, which is kind of a classic board of directors too, with your vice president, you know, treasurer, secretary, and so forth. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh you know, I coordinate the activities of the chapters in the state of Florida and that interface between the chapters and the national organization. Uh so again there are about thirty five of the state councils around the country if you ask, well why aren't there fifty? Well you have some states that, you know, if you think about like a places like Wyoming and Montana and North Dakota, you can't imagine they have a lot of chapters. So a right an additional layer there is not not really going to add anything to the mix. In fact, it would probably be counterproductive. And uh, then you have around the country some 400 chapters. Uh, we have here in Florida, uh, in our council, we have approximately 40 chapters, 40-41. Uh, and it's important to note that all of the chapters and all the state councils are affiliates of MOA National. There is no legal uh, linkage between us and MOA National. There's no legal linkage between a chapter and a state council. Uh, so it's, it's an affiliation because of the common goal that we have. And by being MOA chapters or MOA state councils, we have a very direct uh, relationship, but it's technically an affiliation. Uh, so we, uh, there's no legal, know, legal linkage there, uh, so to speak. Uh, the forty chapters we have here in Florida, and I was mentioning to you our our organization here at the state of Florida level. Uh you know, of course we have folks that do the budget and the treasurer and we have, you know, the classic bylaws uh, and resolutions guy. Uh we have a, a newsletter that comes out every other month that's uh on, available on our website and I'll give that to you later. Uh and we have, uh because of the size of the state of Florida being so large geographically and also because we have so many chapters. I think California, Texas, and Florida, we have uh, the biggest councils with the, the highest numbers of chapters around the country. That obviously makes sense when you think about the numbers of – uh and Virginia comes in there also with uh, the numbers of veterans – and officers retired in those states, it makes a lot of sense. But right. here in Florida, because we're so big geographically and also have so many chapters, we have for, in our state council, we have what we call area vice presidents. And this is somebody that's, for example, you're over, you're over in the, the Brandon area. So we have an area vice president over in that west central part of the state southwestern part of the state, southeast and northwest, uh, there are seven of them. And they're essentially like squad leaders. So I was one of those for a couple of years. And so I managed six or seven chapters. So each one of those seven uh, fulfills that role. And it, it helps me because if I were to have to engage directly with 40 chapter presidents or maybe their secretaries or their treasurers on a daily basis. Uh, And believe me, I spend a lot of time at this. I probably spend about uh, not counting visiting chapters, uh, which, for example, I'll be in clear water tomorrow. So that's going to be, you know, two hours plus over and back and a couple hours on the ground. So I'll lose probably about seven hours tomorrow on that. But not counting a visit like that, I spend about 30 hours a week working these issues. Uh, but with those seven area vice presidents, it kind of reduces my span of control, not unlike you would have in a military org chart where, right. you know, the commander tries to reduce the span of control. It's kind of the same thing. So again, we're talking about the national level. That's kind of the strategic at the state level. We have the state council. That's your operational level and, uh, and then your chapter levels, which is your tactical level essentially.
1: Now, that's pretty impressive, you said that the Florida has about forty forty one chapters out of a nationwide number of chapters of about four hundred that's, uh, yeah, that's quite impressive,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, it really is, and you know I'm not going to take any credit for the way we're organized. We've had a very uh, effective uh, robust state council for a long, long time. Uh, I was on the phone with MoA National. Uh, more than once already this week, but uh, on Friday, uh, one of the people up there says, I've been working here at the headquarters for 20 years, and Florida has always been squared away. So we're very proud of our organization at, at the state level, and we're very proud of our chapters. Uh, MOA National has a an annual award called the Level of Excellence, which is essentially like, I don't want to call it an IG inspection, but uh, there is a set of criteria that are objective and there is a set of criteria that are subjective and each year chapters and councils write those up, uh, fill in the, 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 the score sheet and the different criteria and there's a lot of narrative in there and those are graded by what amounts to a promotion type board, uh, at MOA National and, uh, this year, for example, out of the 400 some chapters, there were about 160 of the highest level, the five star level given and around the whole nation. And Florida got 25 of those. So wow. we're very, very proud uh, of that. We also have communications awards for websites and newsletters that are given by MOA National. Again, Florida has more than twice as many than anyone. Uh, and there are some uh, grant programs that are run by moa national I'll talk about a little bit later and Florida is always in the lead on those uh, as well
1: sure let me ask um, you um i i appreciate the 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 uh, the explanation of the national and the chapter and the state levels um what would how would you describe what uh what each level uh does maybe we can start with uh with you know the national and then state and and then uh, the local chapters. What what do they what does each level see as its primary mission, and who does who do they serve and represent?
0: Well, that's a, that's a a really good question. Um, you know, of course, I mentioned the eight the eight services, the eight uniform services, and the reserve component, surviving spouse, and former military officers. But but more, it's when you ask somebody, says, well, "What does Moa really do?" and this this takes place at all three levels uh, in different ways. But Moa's main mission is to preserve and protect earned benefits. As I stress the earned benefits, but also to to ensure proper benefits for the future. So you know, somebody might say, "Well, hey, that's just a bunch of officers taking care of officers." But what I will tell you is that uh, as we represent and serve. Uh, Those eight services, it it also counts the active duty and it counts the enlisted. Uh, it's not, and their families. It's active duty and former, uh, retired. It does not matter. We serve all of them. Uh, the, the main battery for MOA National at at all levels is legislative advocacy. Uh, I'm going to spend some time talking about that. Uh, MOA at the national level has registered lobbyists. And a lot of people, of course, uh, put a negative connotation uh, to the the lobbyists lobbyists that you have in Washington, and some of that may be very well-deserved. But MOA is really the the only organization out there that's advocating for your earned benefits. Uh, I joined the Army Army. I was commissioned in 1978. When I walked up to the ROTC table in 1974, they told me that if I did 20 years, I would get free medical and dental for life. Well, the Congress decided that they didn't want to do that at some point along the line, and that's back in the mid-'90s when TRICARE was implemented, and we started losing that, that earned benefit. A MOA National has been fighting for the earned benefits for, for active and retired and former families, surviving spouses, uh, all along. And I'll, I'll throw one out now, uh, as an example, uh, Tricare for Life. So we're inundated on television right now with these commercials about supplements for Medicare at that time of year because it's Medicare open season. Right. And so basically if you have Medicare, you're out there in the civilian world. You're a, sub- a pure old civilian. You pay for your Medicare, but you have to buy a supplement for that 20%. Tricare for Life for the retirees uh, is that supplement, and it is free. So that's worth about five thousand dollars a year. Those those policies vary a little bit, but it's around five 000, six thousand dollars in value. Moa is the organization that fought for that. Um, we as we lobby at, at all levels, NOAA in DC being up there, you know, right there adjacent to DC in Old Town Alexandria and, and our, at the state level, we have, uh, legislative, legislative affairs, uh, people on the board, uh, who are very experienced in those issues. And then our chapters, we, we, we work with our chapters to send Cards and letters and emails to our elected representatives in Washington telling them the issues that we think are the most important. So when, for example, uh, not long ago, you may be aware of this, Arlington National Cemetery is wanting to change the criteria of who can be buried at Arlington National Cemetery. And it cuts out a lot of folks, uh, and it is considered by MOA and, and most of the People like you and me who are retirees be unjust, uh, because of the, uh, the criteria. Samoa fights something like that and lobby Congress through, uh, in-person meetings there in DC. Uh, we go to Washington, uh, well, the last two years we didn't because of COVID, but generally in the, in the spring, April timeframe, uh, teams go from every one of the states and we have a day on Capitol Hill we visit all 535 offices. So we have a team from Florida, for example, that's four mini-teams, and we go in and see all 29 of our elected representatives. We may not see the elected rep there on the floor doing a floor floorboard or something, but we see their senior legislative staffer or their senior military affairs or defense affairs staffer. Uh, and, of course, sometimes we see the actual representatives and senators. And we tell them what issues we think are most important. Uh, MOA has a very strong voice, uh, because in fact, uh, it has a lot of members and with, with, uh, leadership, a four star is the chairman of the board retired and a retired three star is the president, the CEO. Uh, when MOA speaks up there, uh, our representatives actually listen to us, so it's uh, it's a great thing. So again, the main battery is legislative advocacy. That's the main thing we we stress. That kind of goes vertically all the way to D.C. from the chapter level to the state level and up to the national headquarters. So th- there's the main effort uh, right there.
1: I know that that takes a lot uh, a lot of persistence too on some of these issues and. And Congress is a messy place, uh, to get stuff done. Mike, you mentioned, um, earned benefits. Uh, does MOA's legislative activity or advocacy on Capitol Hill, um, also extend to things like, uh, veterans disability benefits? Cause there's a whole lot of issues. Oh, every sure. Day. And yeah.
0: The, yeah. It covers, it covers the full spectrum. So when you, if you can think of anything about the Veterans Administration, MOA is on that. I'll give you an example. Uh, MOA, I'll give you two examples. MOA has really worked hard, uh, in this arena to get the VA to recognize some of the conditions related to Agent Orange, uh, from, from Vietnam service. Uh, in fact, the, the VA is adding three, uh, conditions. That is to say, if you're a veteran, you were in Vietnam and you have Parkinson's, they're going to recognize that automatically. It's a presumptive. Uh, they're not going to fight the issue and try to make you prove, you know, when you spent a year in the supply room, you know, pushing barrels of Agent Orange out, they're not going to make you prove how many b- barrels you pushed. The VA is going to recognize that. So the MOA is always working to kind of those kinds of issues. Right now, one of the issues they're working for our veteran community is toxic exposure, uh, not, not Agent Orange, but uh, you're probably very familiar with the uh from the first Gulf War, the oil well fires when
1: uh oh, yes
0: Iraqi forces set fire to the oil wells and guys were bring it breathing in that black crud that was all through the air. And then in the in the recent uh episodes in Iraq and Afghanistan the, the burn pits and all right. kinds of stuff was being thrown into these burn pits and it was going up into the air and people at these uh, different, uh, uh, forward operating bases and the other locations were breathing in this stuff that was wafting through the air. So we're already determining or discovering that uh, there's some issues for folks, uh, that have been exposed to this talk, to- these toxic fumes and so forth. So yes, mullet definitely works, uh, across the-, the gamut of just about any issue you can think about with the, with the Veterans Administration. Uh, I was in Washington in October for a, a big MOA meeting. We had folks from all over the country, and the keynote speaker uh, at our uh, luncheon was the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. So we're very much engaged with them, uh, primarily at the national level. We're also engaged at the state level uh, here in Florida, and we have the good fortune in Florida in particular that. Uh, it's a veteran friendly state. Of course, we have no state income tax here, but, uh, traditionally the state government has been very pro-veteran. Uh, and, uh, in, in fact, uh, Governor DeSantis, this isn't a political uh, endorsement by any means. And I want to stress that Moen at the, at all levels is, uh, apolitical and, and uh, a- bipartisan. But, uh, the Florida Department of Veterans Affairs is an outstanding organization It is really doing a lot at the state level with state veterans homes and taking care of a lot of issues that they can take care of at the state level to support our veteran community, which is huge in the state of Florida. Uh, there's a General Hartzell, Major General, retired Marine Corps is the head of the FDVA, Florida Department of Veterans Affairs. And in fact, our Florida, uh, level legislative expert works for the f d a and he's on our board with that, that function uh he is, fortunately is very rarely in in a situation where there's a conflict of interest because the state uh department of Veterans affairs uh supports the issues that we think are important just like we would want them to support them so it it works out exceptionally well
1: All right well that's uh that's tremendous very impressive uh MOa's efforts. In Washington, now, I know you mentioned legislative activities to protect earned benefits as well as veteran issues. Um, and what I was wondering is, uh, you know, the, the the membership of MoA uh, is, is very impressive with 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 uh, so much uh, military experience, you know, spanning um, many decades and many wars. Um, does Does MoA, as far as its Trying the impact while while at the same time remaining apolitical and and uh, non political and bipartisan in nature. Uh, do they ever speak out to provide some some uh, collective uh, wisdom to those on Capitol Hill just about uh, the military itself and how things are going? Areas where perhaps need some improvement. I know that's kind of a long question. Yes. Yeah. But-
0: no, I got it. yeah, I got it. Yeah, no, certainly they they do so the answer the short answer to that is yes, but again, I want to stress one of the things that Moa avoids at all levels is to get into you know political boot fight so for example uh like our our newsletters at the chapter level at the at the state council level uh and at the national level, anything you see on the MOa national website which is moaa.org uh, or our state website moaafl for florida.org uh, you're not going to find any any politicized issues and you're not going to find endorsements for political candidates or parties or statements in opposition to candidates or parties now, our objective is to work uh across the aisle with with both of the major parties uh, and also the minority parties if they're involved to uh ensure that our earned benefits and future benefits uh, are preserved and enhanced. You know, we all spent our lives uh, dedicated to this country, to the military. We want a strong national defense, a strong military. And we realize that young folks coming into the military uh, come in for a different set of reasons than we did. So, uh, you know, if you have an a, a young Troop coming in, he's already married with a couple of kids. His wife is probably interested in the benefits package they're going to get. Uh, When I joined the army, as I was a single guy, uh, I wasn't the least bit concerned about the benefits package I was joining because I was raised to join the military and serve my country. So we understand that uh, that's not the case with the younger generations. And we also understand that the ability to re- not just recruit but also to retain quality soldiers, airmen, sailors, uh, Marines, and so forth, it it's very important that the benefits packages that they have, that the pay raises that they get, that the access to medical care that they have uh, and other benefits, commissary and, and PXs. MOA fought the merger of the commissary and PXs. We weren't the only organization fighting that. That battle has now been won. So we 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 look across the spectrum, and we work with anybody that will work with us, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican or an independent uh, at any level of government, whether that be at the local level all the way up to the national level.
1: Very good. Um, before I move on to, I have questions about uh, Moa's charitable activities, but before that, I just have one other question sure. about. You mentioned like every April um uh, members, MOA members uh go to Capitol Hill and let's say the Florida delegation, et cetera. Uh for um for MOA members that may be listening or or future MOA members, uh what sort of preparation do they do those uh members have before they storm the hill so to speak? Are they given briefings? Yeah, so-
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. So we used to call it storming the hill, but the uh, unpleasantness of 6 January caused an order to <laughs> you re- can't say that anymore. That. <laughs> yeah. So it's now called advocacy in action, which doesn't have the quite the same ring to it. But we <laughs> right. felt uh, the headquarters said we're not going to call it storming the hill anymore, and I I can't disagree with them. But right. uh you know, this is this is an organization of of officers and so I will tell you that that effort is highly organized so in advance of going now the last two years we did it by telephone and zoom and so forth because of COVID but I've gone up there two times to do this and it looks like we're going to be going again this year in April uh, in 22 but uh, you get issue papers and we normally try to hit them with two or three issues and that might be the active-duty pay raise. It might have to do uh, with, uh, you know, the toxic exposure. It might have to do with basic needs allowances for our young junior enlisted that are would otherwise qualify for food stamps. Uh, so we have two or three issues. We get those in advance. Uh, and then, of course, we get your famous Excel spreadsheet. I, I organize my own team here in Florida. I appoint three or four team leaders, and the teams are teams of two, and they contact the key legislative staffer for or the, the key appointment staffer for, you know, Senator Rubio, Senator Scott, and, and the 27 uh, congressmen and congresswomen and set up appointments. Uh, yeah, I, we always send them the issue papers so they know what it is we want to talk about. We want them to be as well-prepared and informed and knowledgeable and know what our positions are, but also know what their position is when it comes to these issues. When we set the appointments, we everybody travels to Washington, and before we go to Capitol Hill, we spend a day and a half uh, getting educated and getting trained. And the education is to make sure that everyone in that room knows the issues inside and out and has them completely down pat and the training part is actually how to how to handle the office call i mean it goes everything from body language to you know salesmanship uh all of the way you interact with another person you know if you're if you're sitting there with a congressman and he's uh, texting you have probably lost him so <laughs> you know that that's an extreme example but you, you you're trained on on those kinds of things so that you know whether or not you're making any headway. And you got to be good. you got to be quick because you're moving around a building that's big and you're moving around or well, maybe even going from building to building. and you're at their disposal on their schedule. So you get about a thirty minute block. so you get to somebody's office at 10 am and it takes a couple of three minutes before you get in with the congressman or the senator or, or his staffers. Uh, you really have about 18 to 20 minutes maximum, because so then you gotta move out to go to another office that's three or four floors down and on the other side of the building. So, you really have to know the issues, you have to hit them hard, fast, and, uh, and have a, have an impact right there on the spot, or you're, uh, you're not gonna make any headway.
1: All right. Well, that's impressive. It's good to hear of that organi- of that organization and planning. And Mike, uh, what does MOA do as far as, uh, charitable activities?
0: Yeah, so MOA at the the national level, the the base organization, is a 501C19. Um, My local chapter and my state-level organization, the state council, are also 501C19. That's primarily a veteran-slash-military-related organization. But MOA National has two 501C3 charitable uh, enterprises set up uh, distinct from the base uh, organization at the headquarters. One of those is a scholarship fund that provides scholarship, college scholarship money, either grants or interest-free loans to uh, military kids. And they don't have to be officer kids. They can be enlisted kids, uh, to to wives, uh, to, to husbands of uh, service members. Uh, it's a, a great program. I had a fellow reach out to me here locally in the Seabring area. I want to join your chapter because my daughter got six thousand dollars of, of you know grant money. And wow. I, she got it from MOA. So I wanna just as a show a show of appreciation I'm gonna join your chapter. And uh actually now I've got him on my chapter board so I put him to work. Uh <laughs> the other uh five oh one C three is known as the MOA Foundation. And the Moa Foundation, they provide grants to chapters and councils around the country. Uh, those grants, for example, here in the Sebring area, my chapter gets, has brought in in the last four years from this Moa Foundation, uh, thirty thousand dollars into the local area that wow. we use for a program to assist needy veterans. You know, veterans who are on their rear ends for whatever reason to help them pay things like utility bills. And we also operate a food pantry and do a Thanksgiving and Christmas basket, uh, distribution to needy veterans in the community. And that, that grant program has helped us do that. Uh, that getting, you know, 5,000 bucks or 7,000 bucks or 10,000 bucks in one, one, uh, you know, swath allows me to avoid having to conduct a golf tournament to raise money. So right. I'd rather not have to conduct a golf tournament if I can get MOA National over four years to give me $30,000 that I can use to help needy veterans in our community. So it's a great, those, both of those, the scholarship program and the fund and the, the, uh, MOA foundation, these are wonderful, inter, uh, organizations set up at C3s at the national level. Some of our chapters, uh, also have separate C3s if you're in a an area of Florida where pockets may be deeper than others uh it's it's uh possible that you need a C3 we had one chapter recently got a donation of $50,000 for their JROTC scholarship fund so these are kids that are going from JROTC in high school to senior ROTC or academy programs and so someone donated 50,000 and it was necessary that that chapter had a C3, 501C3, so that that person could, you know, write it off on their income tax. So places with deep pockets, uh, having the C3 is very advantageous. So some of the chapters do as well.
1: I see. Well, that's impressive. Before I ask you about, um, what Mo is doing in these, these COVID times in the virtual arena, let me ask you one more question about charities, which is how can our listeners donate either to the two Um, National 501c3s, the scholarships, and the foundations, or to local chapters? Is it as simple as going to a website?
0: Yeah, Yeah, for the chapters, of course, finding a chapter website, and there are so many of them, it's a little difficult. My my recommendation would be to to donate at the national level, and you can go to MOA's national website, moa.org, and uh, on the homepage there, you can find ways to donate. Uh, to both the foundation and the scholarship fund. Uh, and again, that's 501c3 is if you qualify to itemize, which many of us don't anymore after the tax law changes a couple of years ago, when you're talking about donating a hundred bucks or, you know, 200 bucks, uh, you may not get to write it off on your taxes, but your money will go to a wonderful cause if you do that.
1: Right, right. Okay, Mike, what does, um, MOA do in the virtual arena now. Everything is, you know, in this COVID time has become yeah. virtual.
0: So, of course, we all understand what the downsides of COVID were. We've all had friends or family members get sick or die. All of us, I think, are, have been affected, or we know somebody, a close friend. Um, but, you know, as we've seen mentioned on television and, and on, you know, the Internet and the mainstream media, uh, platforms such as Zoom uh, and other video teleconferencing platforms like GoToMeeting uh, and others uh, really became uh, a method of doing business, conducting business and coordination. Uh, so, you know, when COVID hit, we kind of had to slow down, uh, especially at the, at the state level and at the national level. Uh, for example, at the... At the state level, we got a Zoom account. And in fact, uh, we used to have what? annual events. We had a, a in-person meeting in January. We had an in-person uh, convention in the summer. And then we had a telephone conference call in the October timeframe. Uh, at each of those, each of those three was a board meeting, uh, included in the other activities and now we have zoom calls for everything you can think of we have zoom calls for legislative affairs coordination zoom calls for our with our treasurer and the finance team zoom calls uh between me and the and the area vice president along with the vice president uh, zoom calls for you name it uh it's made us more effective and more efficient and better coordinated than we ever were so if there's an upside for us from COVID, it's Zoom, uh, and other video teleconferencing platforms. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be on a teleconfe- teleconference on Thursday with MOA National, that they're going to have folks from all over the country. And that will be, uh, they use, uh, Teams or GoToMeeting. I forget which it is, but, uh, you know, very similar to Zoom and, and any of the others. And, uh, the information flow up and down, uh, sideways, you know, horizontally, vertically and coordination at all levels is so much better than it ever was. So we're very pleased with, uh, you know, that aspect. That's an upside uh, to COVID. And the good news for me was, although it's not a lot of money, uh, Moa National even paid for the the Zoom account that we got. So uh, if they decide to stop doing that, we'll continue to get the Zoom. Uh, account uh, because it's been so effective for us as far as coordination at the state uh, and other levels. The Some of the chapters use it for their board meetings instead of having to meet in person. Uh, all of the chapters in the state are back to regular dinners and luncheons and chapter meetings and so forth, but it's allowing some of uh, us to do things that we couldn't do before uh, as effectively over email or the telephone. So it's been fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's just another way, a better way to get a lot of stuff done, which I think is what's important. So, yeah.
0: um, yeah, you know, some, Dave, something I want to mention so that we don't forget, you know, somebody might say, well, how many people are in MOA? Uh, right. it, nationally, we have about 350,000 members. Wow. And it's actually, it's actually growing over the last couple of years. It's grown by about something like three, three and a half percent per year. Uh, about a quarter of those are active duty. And you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, on in this conversation, I joined as an active duty guy. Uh, so about a quarter are active duty, <clears throat> and about uh, some, just under 20% are surviving spouses. In other words, widows or widowers, you know, married to former officers or retired officers uh, or active officers uh, and, and, unfortunately, lost their spouse. Uh, and then uh, about half of those members overall are life members. I'm uh, a life member. Uh, because my boss gave me no option, as I mentioned. Uh, but uh, there's also, there are three levels of membership. The life membership, you you pay based on your age bracket. Uh, it's pro-rated. The younger you are, the more you pay, obviously. And then there are premium memberships uh, where you join for one, two, or three years. And then there are uh, basic membership, which is free, uh, but it's only electronic content. There's some some... Uh, features that you don't have access to. You don't get the magazine, which is a fantastic magazine. Uh, MOA magazine is recognized and, and wins all kinds of awards. Uh, j- just like MOA at the national level, you know, I mentioned we, we are registered lobbyists at the national level. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the website, The Hill. Uh, and, uh, it just named its top lobbyists for 2021 and MOA for like the 15th year in a row. Was named as one of the top lobbyists, and it's because we're so effective at advocating in the legislative arena uh, for these benefits that we talked about.
1: Well, that's great. That's very impressive, and um, I've recently joined, and I appreciate uh, your guidance, advice on that. But uh, if you could tell our audience, Mike, why <laughs> should uh, why should people join Moa, and uh, how do they go about doing that?
0: Okay, so the, the easiest way to join is to go to moa.org slash join uh if you don't remember the slash join part if you just go to moa.org right on the home page you can find uh over on the right hand side how to join and you can join right over the uh you know over the internet uh it'll take all your information and your credit card information and so forth uh you can also always call Moa National but that's actually more cumbersome uh than than doing it over the internet but, you know, I, I've mentioned a couple of things that we've done, and, you know, how the the younger generation is more, uh, I, I don't want to, this is not a disparaging uh, commentary, but, you know, the younger generation is more of a what's in it for me uh, generation than perhaps you and I were, because, right. uh, you know, we're a little bit older. But uh, one of the things that Moa fought for some years ago, the Congress was going to decrement the pay raise for your retiree population by one point. So, in other words, if the active duty was going to get a 3.5% pay raise, the retirees were going to get 2.5%. And so if you get out your fancy calculator, or when you and I were younger, slide rule, and you start doing some calculations, you can see that those lines are going to get farther and farther apart over time.
1: Right. Moa
0: uh, thought that. And Moa said, this is not what the law says and you're taking advantage of the retiree population. So they won that battle. If you take a, like say somebody that's about 44, 45 years old retires as a lieutenant colonel or a commander, uh, over a, if he lives, he or she lives an average lifespan, uh, after retirement, they're going to make about an extra $165,000 in retirement. Now that is not chicken feed, right? Uh, not at least uh, not in my household. Uh, right. $165. If I'm a retired 06, It would be probably somewhere. I don't have the exact figure, but somewhere around $200,000 over my lifetime. Wow. Now, that's not a, a small figure. Right. Uh, that that is a lifestyle difference for somebody like you or me. So so that's big, and when you consider that. Like you just joined, I think uh, you joined as a premium member, as yes. I recall, and as I recall, you joined as a three-year member, and I know yes. you're going to join as a life member later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you, you, you know, for like 50 bucks a year for membership, if you're paying as a premium member, and you're going to make 100, extra, extra $165,000 if you're an 05, you got your money back. Now, I mentioned the Tricare for Life, that's worth 5,000 bucks a year. So you don't have to buy that 20% supplement to to Medicare. Uh, that's more than 50 bucks a year. A, uh, I know that most of the retiree population bought into the survivor benefit plan. I pay 6% off of my retirement pay that goes, that I buy essentially what is an annuity so that in the event that I kick the bucket, uh, next week, my wife will draw 55% of my retirement. I'm paying into that. But there's this, you know, you talked about Veterans Affairs issues unrelated to some of these other active duty or the military. Uh, the dependent dependent indemnity compensation where widows are paid, or widowers are paid DIC on a monthly basis if the spouse uh, died of a service-connected uh, illness or injury, and they were getting about, you know, it's about 1200 bucks a month that they get for that. Well, the Congress was decrementing SDP by dollar to dollar amount.
1: Wow, that was just and wrong. Moa
0: fought that off. Yeah, and those were called the forgotten widows. It's like sixty five, sixty eight thousand 68,000 of these around the country. Wow. And Moa fought that off, and over, we're in the second year of a three-year elimination of that SDP-DIC offset. The DIC money comes out of the VA budget. The SVP you pay for as a service, the retired service member, and they were taking that dollar for dollar away from the, from the widows if they got DIC. Uh, no one else in America as a veteran widow getting DIC, no other category of retirement was being decremented, even, even other federal retirements, like if they were civil servants or anything like that. So Moa fought that off. That's about, you know, 1200 Twelve months. That's uh, not chicken feed, you know. For especially for a winner that that is getting SVP, DIC, and Social Security, uh, you know they're living on reduced income. So molar won that battle. Uh, the uh, a, a military spouse now gets uh, free tuition at public universities in, uh, in in most states and can get a two thousand dollar a month. Average uh, allowance from from the uh, military. She's working. She or he's working on a degree. That's a program that Moa fought for. So you get two thousand dollars a month as an. A, and that's an average. You know, that's a lot more than your fifty dollar annual membership for Moa. So, and there are others that I could mention, but uh, these are real things with real ba- actual cash value, financial, you know, monetary value that benefit uh, a veteran. Uh, or a former officer or even you know enlisted uh, and, and their family members that would not otherwise uh, be the case. MOA is one of two co-leads, permanent co-leads for what's known as the military coalition at the national level. That's a consortium or kind of a confederation of about 35 of your veteran service or military service organizations. And you can imagine it's the kind of standard alphabet soup. Uh, right. MOA is always co-lead, uh, co-chair, because all of those organizations recognize too that MOA National has so much, uh, uh, sway, power, and people listen to them in DC, uh, when, when they speak, uh, with, uh, one strong voice. MOA's motto is never stop serving. Uh, that was one of the things that got me, uh, interested in doing something down here is and as I left professional life, I needed an outlet for my professional energies. And a commanding general once influenced me by saying, when you retire, you've got to give back because right. you got so much from your country and from your military. And I had a, that comment he made to me, uh, had a very uh, profound impact on, even though I'd been raised that way by my parents and so forth, he kind of reinforced it, that that commanding general. And so when I got down here, I wanted to be able to give back uh any way I could, and serving as the local chapter president and now the state president for uh, the Florida Council of Chapters uh, has given me an opportunity to do just that. Uh Some people, and MOA's national, as I said, their motto is never stop serving. I like to call it camaraderie with a purpose. Uh Oh, that's, and, that's, uh, that's awesome. To me, yeah.
1: Well, Colonel Mike Borders, thank you so much. Thank you for your 30 years of of service uh, in the Army, and thank you for your continued service. Um, I'm very pleased that you were able to be with us and share this information about Moa. And I hope our listeners uh, will be eligible, can join, and that we'll do so. Thanks for being with us, and uh, we wish you continued success. And I'd like to invite you back on the show sometime in the future, at your convenience, to keep us updated on Moa's projects and achievements.
0: Yeah, perhaps. uh after the uh April activity uh, in Washington uh, on Advocacy in Action, formally storming the Hill, uh, we can get back together and I can give you an update.
1: Oh, that'd be super. Thanks again. Thank you so much. And uh, Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas to you and uh, have a wonderful 2022 and uh, look forward to collaborating with you in the future. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you very
1: much. Thanks again. Thank you. Well, thanks again, uh to our special guest Colonel Mike Borders uh, the president of the Florida Council of Chapters of the Military Officers Association of America. It's been a fast hour. We'd like to thank all of you uh for listening. Um, our guest uh, next week will be uh, Lee Washington from uh he's the president of uh the Florida Association of Veteran of of uh County Veteran uh, Service Officers and he'll share his experiences about uh, dealing with the VA. He's also the Director of Neighborhood Services for the County of uh, Manatee in Florida. So he'll have a lot to say. So tune in next week, which will be December the 13th. We'd like to thank all of you for listening. We'd like to thank our producer of BBS Radio, Mr. Doug Newsom. Again, tune in next week, same time, same station, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain Time, and 4 p.m. Pacific, here on bbsradio.com Station 1 for another edition of the Veterans News Hour. Until then... Stay safe, stay healthy, and have a great week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley. We hope you found this week's program very informative. Be sure to invite your friends and all the veterans you know to tune in next week when we'll have another great show on Veterans Issues. Meanwhile, you can listen to our other recorded episodes on the Veterans News Hour webpage on bbsradio.com. Thanks again for listening to the Veterans News Hour.